What's going on? It's Zach. Welcome to Greetings from Somewhere. Today we are doing a bonus detour episode. This is our last episode of the season. So we want to talk about how we made the season and the highlights of the season and answer a bunch of listener questions that we've gotten along the way. And in order to do that, I brought along my co-collaborator for the whole season. You've heard his name in the credits. You've definitely heard his work all throughout every single episode. And you may even recognize his voice as the DJ of the incredible Marfa Music Festival in, in episode one. My boy and engineer Dan Turek is joining me today to get through this final detour. Dan, what's going on, man? Hey, man. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Can't see, can't see for everyone at home, but I'm blushing. Uh, no, I'm excited for today, man. I'm glad we're doing this. Just for the listener, Dan and I grew up together. We went to high school together, and we've just been close friends ever since high school. Now it's it's really cool because we we found a way to work together. Like Our work paths have been able to cross. I do remember... Like years ago, I think you were living in LA at the time. This was a long ass time ago, but we were kicking it. It was like a weekend. We were just hanging out and you were like, man, we should try and make something like a little podcast, like experimental sound thing. Some we're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then uh, we were drinking beers and we sat there for like two hours and got nowhere. <laughs> and it was just like our first crack at like trying to do something, like collaborate together, kind of like fuse both our worlds and that it just did not work at all. And then to be here now is just a funny, like, the evolution. Yeah, and, and like, like that's a good segue. I've had so many false starts on making a show. I, for years and years, I've been helping other people make their show, right? And I, I think yeah. I'm, like, pretty good at helping other people realize their vision or make their show. Right. But I've always wanted to make my own show, and I've been unable to do that for whatever reason. I've been kind of like, the idea had to be perfect, or I didn't feel like I had enough money or the resources or felt like I wasn't good enough or didn't have the team or collaborators. And th this is the thing I get asked a lot during this process was like, yo, how did you make your show? How did this all come together? I just wanted to like share a quick bit about how this show even got made. Yeah. And it really started when I was living in Los Angeles in 2018 and I took a job in New York and I decided... And it was going to be my second time moving to New York in, in four years. And I decided to drive across the country through the South and bring my radio recording equipment and just kind of screw around on my, on my road trip. I took 18 days to drive across the country, decided to screw around and just like record and interview things along the way, thinking I would just kind of like put it together as like maybe audio postcards, you know? I remember I was in Marfa on election day, the day of the midterms. And like the big thing was like Ted Cruz beating Beto. Yeah, we made this 13 minute pilot about Marfa together. I'm going to play a clip real quick from that. And you get to hear like the early iterations of what this show was. So now we're back to this putting people back in boxes. But we're doing that with the whole nation. And I don't know how we got around to doing that shit again. We don't hate each other. They just tell us we have to, so we do. Beto's prettier than Ted, so if I'm going to get fucked by one of them, I'd rather look around and see 
Beto's face than Ted Cruz. That's like a little taste of, of that first pilot. You might remember our first episode for the season was Marfa. I like, that's all re-reported. That's all new stuff that I decided to go to go back and like revisit Marfa because I thought it was such an interesting subject matter. Once Dan and I made this pilot, I put together a pitch deck and I just started pitching it around to like everyone I knew, every podcast network or sponsor or potential partner that I could think of in hopes to get it funded, in hopes to like get someone who could put it out there. I got a ton of polite declines and like, oh, this is great, but this isn't what I'm looking for. And, you know, I'm not a famous person. I'm not a big name. Speak for yourself. I just had this idea and this like this feeling like no one is doing travel podcasts like this. Sure enough, like as I started pitching it and putting the show out, there was a couple of travel shows like came out like fairly recently in the last year. But yeah, we were pitching this stuff around. Eventually a company, Acast, they were like, yo, we like this, but we don't ever work with shows that don't already exist. How we work is your show exists and then we help you sell your ads on your show. They're like, but we like your show and we have an ad sales team. If you sign a contract, like a holding deal with us for a couple months, we can put our feelers out and see if there's a company that's willing to like sponsor you for the season and put up the money to pay for your production. And sure enough, like after many, many, many months, there was, and they told me I got funding the first week of March. Now, if you remember the first week of March, that's like the week that the pandemic was really starting. And by the second week of March, we were all like on shutdown and indoors. So like, obviously no contracts were signed. So I, I just thought, okay, the show is dead. This is just going to be another like COVID casualty kind of thing. Like one of the many opportunities that goes away because of the pandemic. And then, you know, sure enough in, Ju- in July and August, they came back to me and said, hey, no, we really want to do this. Do you think you can put something together to launch in November? And And, and I was like, you know, that's, that's a pretty tight turnaround, but like, let's do it. All I wanted to do was make my show and I just wanted to do it any way possible. I did not have a plan for COVID. And and so then I was like, well, how the hell do I travel or how do I report in the middle of a pandemic, you know? And so that was like pretty tricky. And and ultimately what I, what I ended up doing was just like traveling way less than I anticipated, right? It's right. like just not going to as many places as I thought doing things like those detour episodes where I didn't have to go anywhere physically to do those episodes. All of the places that I was originally going to go for season one, most of those places changed. Disney World, Joshua Tree, and Mount Rushmore. Those are all places where one, I could be outside the whole time and it didn't feel, it didn't feel dangerous. Two, those are places that are open. So it didn't feel irresponsible because they were like open to visitors and people were coming there and they they were still welcoming people there. And so I didn't want to go anywhere that that wasn't like welcoming to outsiders and that I would have to be inside a bunch. I wasn't going to go to any of those places originally. Those were all new right. new places for the show. So yeah, it's just like the pandemic and COVID kind of became an extra character in each episode and kind of became this new thing that we were reckoning with. If we're talking about Disney World, okay, there's been a lot said and reported on about Disney World, but like not during the pandemic. And so everything kind of felt a little bit different because of what was going on in, in, in 2020 and 21 being just so nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, long story short, we made the show. We had to get episodes out each week. It was a grind. And 
working with Dan ended up just being the most fun part of the show in a lot of ways. Are you crying? And like, are you crying? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and just like each week getting to like figure out fun things to throw in the show. And like, I specifically remember week one, our very first deadline, the Marfa episode was going up the next day. We went till 3 a.m. my time working on like fine tuning the episode that went up just a couple hours later. And I was like, oh man, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this every week. But the first episode, Marfa has like one of our favorite moments that we ever made together, which is (laughs) the Marfa Music Festival. C3, what the fuck is going on? Y'all ready to turn this motherfucking desert out of what? Let's go! All right, we are coming to you live from the C3 Presents Marfa Music Festival. There are literally thousands of people that have descended on this tiny town in the middle of West Texas. Everybody here is having a great time. I see people drinking, I see people smoking, I see people laughing, everybody's partying. We are on over 200 plus acres of desert landscape. Oh shit, this is my song. There's this thing in in Marfa, there was this proposed music festival that may or may not happen. And we decided, you know what, what if we create a moment that shows what it might be like if all of a sudden there was like a huge Coachella-sized music festival in this tiny town in Texas? Like, what would that actually be like and feel like? And so you and I like created a fake music festival. You did your first pass on it. And it was like, all right, this is pretty good, but I think we can go further, you know? Like you this is a this is an underlying, like reoccurring theme with each episode or throughout this season. I feel like it th- okay, this is how it goes. You would always be like, Hey, I'm gonna send over the episode with notes. Here's what I'm thinking for this and that. Then I get the episode, dig through it, and I'm like, hey, but I think we can explore this, or I would put some sort of sound design in, send it back to you, and you'd be like, Yeah, yeah, I like that, but Let's do, let's take it further. And then I'll get it, take it further and then add something more on top of it. And you get it back and be like, no, 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 let's add something. It's like we would almost like play off each other until it turned into this whole thing. You know what I mean? Which was great. It's just like sort of like one upping each other on how far can we take things design wise and like. Totally. You know. Specifically with the Marfa Music Festival, we knew that we wanted loud, abrasive EDM type music. I had already gone out and recorded myself like outside running around a park. I was like physically running around a park while recording on a voice memo to make it sound like I was recording outside at a festival. And then you called it out. You were like, damn, I feel like we're missing a festival DJ. You know, like I feel like we need a festival DJ voice. (laughs) Then it was just obvious that you had to be the festival DJ. And we put together a couple of lines that a festival DJ might say at a music festival in, in Texas. And and I, I remember just like the laughing hysterically. The funniest line ever is, "Let's turn this fucking desert out." <laughs> Y'all ready to turn this motherfucking desert out of what? Let's go! I got to live out my festival dreams as a DJ, man. I feel like we were the most just us personally were the most excited about like the the music festival, the Marfa we just talked about, and a, a few other things. But for me designing the the soundscape for uh the 
Car of the Future, the scene when you're getting into your self-driving future car. There is a car that's running and waiting for me. Maybe I own it, maybe I don't. I hop into the back seat of that car. Hello, Zachary. Leaving work early today? You naughty, naughty boy. It's a big, luxurious back seat. I have a glass of whiskey. I've prepared your whiskey. All set to go? Like, it may not sound like there was a lot of elements, but there is a ton of elements in there. And it, to me, it was just fun to, like, sort of build out all these different little things that you probably don't notice that are really subtle. To me, it was like I was creating a car around myself. You know, you're starting with just your voice, and then it was like creating the actual interior of the car sort of piece by piece. So to me, that was like fun. It's like... Yeah, there was like plenty of moments throughout the season where I like in our script and you and I discussed like, oh, let's sound design this moment and this moment. Mm -hmm. And that was a moment where I didn't ask for anything. There was nothing in the script and you just took it and ran with it and did that all on your own. And then I love that there's that little Easter egg because I love Batman so much when I when I say, oh, I, I'm sitting down to watch a movie in the, in the back of this future car. <laughs> there's like Batman appears, you know? And I, I flip on one of my favorite movies yeah, kill the Batman. and the car whisks me away out of town to my, my weekend getaway destination that I, and I can lounge there. And, and when I kind of come to, I've there's all this little subtle stuff that you did and put together. There's this subtle, I want to say it's like 30 seconds to a minute of me leaving Disney World. All right, I'm walking out of Disney World. I've been here almost 10 hours. Luckily, I'm still standing and I'm going to head home. It's subtle and it's drawn out, but it is such a nice like exit and transition out of the park. It's one of my favorite moments of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about a lot of these episodes was that that you did capture a lot of real Ambi. That exit from Disneyland, that's your audio leaving the park. And I think it was like a a boat attendant or someone telling people which train or boat to get on or something along those lines. So it's like, you know, that's the actual audio from there. And then, you know, adding some stuff around it just to beef it up. So, I mean, that's sort of the beauty is like, it's a hybrid of of real and post-production. Yeah. The other thing that you added in Joshua Tree was you added to the cold open, you added this bit of me tripping in the desert that like wasn't originally in the script. You just put it in there. I just parked my car. Definitely still tripping off these mushrooms a little bit. Seems like people just pull off at the side of the road and start wandering through Joshua Tree. And then you had kind of an echoey sound effect. And then like my addition was like, well, let's make this sound like more. Yeah. Well, see, that's like, the thing. It goes back up. to what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, I was like, you know what? Let's do a little bit of like tripping on drugs here. And you're like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. I need more of that. <laughs> yeah. Take it further. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it just snowballs from there. And it becomes amazing. There's those dispatches from Disney. Like I recorded all these voice memos when I was there. All right. 
t-shirt chicken, five or six, 20 something year olds just walked past me uh, all wearing the same shirt. It was a maroon shirt with white Disney type. It just read, I'm done adulting. I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> just fucking opt out. I wasn't sure if I was going to use them or how I was going to use them. It was more so just like, I knew I wanted to keep track of all these things that I was like seeing and experiencing in Disney and, and like using my voice memos was like a really quick and easy way to do it. We ended up using those actual voice memos from me in the park right. in the in the episode and just using like a walkie-talkie sound to like break them all up. That sounded really Yeah, that was, that was your like idea, really fun. If, yeah. if I remember correctly. The one thing I will say this is the only compliment I'll ever give you in your life. <laughs> um, you, you did make it very easy. Because I had a lot to work with in, in like an organized way. It's not like you dumped a whole bunch of content on me and said, figure it out. You know, it was like beyond just the scripting and planning and producing that that you did, you captured a lot. You had a lot of ideas floating around and then sort of took those elements. Like you were just saying, I didn't know if I was going to use those pieces from the Disney episode, but I, I did them just to have them. And I think that's what made this sort of come together in such a strong way is that you just pulled as much as you could. You had all these different ideas, whether they would work or not. It's like you you sort of banked them in this library and then plugged them in where they made sense into, you know, formulate them into these these structured episodes, which is, you know, it's like I couldn't ask for anything more. It's like I didn't have to pull a lot of stuff most of the time. A lot of, like I was saying, a lot of this, the sound design is just sort of like strengthening what was already there to drive it home further. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The other thing that really came together with this show is like there were different producers and editors and people helping me out along the way, but there were the same three people who worked on every single episode. And that was myself, you, and our incredible composer who wishes to remain anonymous. Their score throughout the season was just dope. Every bit of music you heard in Greetings from Somewhere is like an original composition by this person. The vibe that we talked about is creating something that felt rough and dusty Americana. Like that, those were mm -hmm. kind of the notes that I, I gave them to make the score was, I knew a lot of, this, a lot of the episodes that we were gonna do were gonna take place in the desert or like off the beaten path. So I wanted to use instrumentation that fit that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he killed that. And in, in, in Marfa, the trailer, he sort of set the tone for lack of a better word. Like, and it felt like Marfa, right? But what I thought was amazing is like he took that and then for every episode in every place it was altered a little bit, had so, sort of the same melodies, same reoccurring style, but the the genre and the sound was altered just enough to fit the characteristics of where you were, which is yeah. hard to do. I mean, that's like and that's what you that's what you're looking for when you're when you find someone to score. It's like, I mean, he could he couldn't have done any better. All right, so that's kind of how this show came together and, and some of our favorite moments. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into listener questions and also talk about what the future of Greetings from Somewhere is.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Greetings from Somewhere. I am here with my engineer and good friend, Dan Turek, and we are going to rip through some listener questions and talk about the future of the show. What is what is coming up next for Greetings from Somewhere? Yeah, so I got some questions here that people sent in. What was the best part of making the show? I mean, I honestly think like being able to work with my friends, being able to like pay and work with people who I like trust. Also just getting to try stuff when you're in charge of it and it's like an independent venture, you can kind of just do whatever you want. And there were just moments where I felt the freedom to just do things, to break format or mix it up or create a fake fucking music festival in the middle of the (laughs) desert. I think we gave ourselves permission to try things. The comfortability factor that you're working with your friends makes it so much easier because it's like, I can send you something and you can tell me like, no, this is trash. Like, or this is not at all what I'm trying to have you do. And it just breaks down that whole formality that doesn't necessarily help. It just sort of slows the process down. There was a moment during the season where you came to me about an episode and you just said, hey man, I don't think this is working. I don't think we should run this episode. So much had already been done on this episode. We were going to put it out and you were like, dude, I don't think this is good and I don't think we should run it. You and I made the decision to kill an episode a week before it came out. And that's why like, if you're listening to the show every week, a few weeks ago, we didn't come out with an episode one week. We decided to to not run something rather than to run something that we didn't feel great about. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. We got another question here. Uh, Do you have an overarching theme or message to your show? Yes. This question is actually from my friend Jenna's dad, who became a big fan of the show. So uh, shouts out to David Cagle. But we do, I think we do have an overarching theme or message of the show. There's definitely like, I would say a consistent vibe throughout the show, which is dusty Americana road trip and also delving below the surface of places you might be familiar with, but haven't taken the time to explore in in a certain level of depth. But, you know, the show was kind of split into two categories. There was the documentary style episodes where we go to actual places and document them. And then there were the detour, the bonus episodes where sometimes it was like profiling a person or, you know, talking to Tariro who writes for the New York Times about like how to travel responsibly during a pandemic or this episode, which is kind of like a behind the scenes bonus thing or, you know, the episode where I decided to help out that woman, Laura, who called me and is in a wheelchair and was trying to figure out some travel stuff. So like, the bonus episodes, the detours, just kind of giving us permission to just try stuff, to do really whatever we wanted. But the grounding of the whole season and the show is going places and exploring them, right? Like that's like, I think the bread and butter, That's that was the pitch is making this around places. But the detours allowed us to explore people 
and concepts and just other little pathways that we weren't going to get if we were only profiling like Marfa and Disney World. Here's one. How did COVID impact or change the show? We already discussed this a little bit like with with the making of the show, but it, it just completely changed it. I had to change locations. I really had to change the way I went to these places. I went to less places. I did a lot more reporting remotely. There was a lot of quarantining and a lot of getting tested. Luckily, I live alone. So I felt like I was the only one taking on any risk. Did you ever feel like at any point you're like, man, like I feel okay about this, but I'm a little bit worried about how this is going to be received because of just sort of the stigma and not necessarily stigma, but just people worried about physically traveling around during COVID and and your responsibility level. And they don't necessarily know. 100%. I definitely was like, this summer I I found out, okay, I can make the show and get funding, but is it a good time to make this show? And I was like really torn because this is something that I've been working towards for like two years. And then to finally get that opportunity, but it being in the middle of a pandemic, not a great time to travel. I felt really torn about it, trying to figure out how can I do this responsibly. And the reality is, is I only took three trips. I did this whole thing with only going to Disney World, Mount Rushmore, and Joshua Tree. And in Joshua Tree, that was part of a larger trip where I like relocated to California. So that was like a, a thing that was already happening. But yeah, no, dude, I was definitely like this summer pretty freaked out. Oh, I'm going to make this and I'm going to get canceled. I think how we addressed that is we just didn't ignore the elephant in the room. We talked about it. We COVID became a character in the show and we just we we explored that and tried not to just ignore it or pretend it didn't exist. That's a good move. Um, I got a person here. I posted a nice story about your podcast. Really enjoyed it until I got to the Mount Rushmore episode. You're a clown. Keep your opinions off of a travel podcast. Joke, period. That's the, <laughs> that is the message from an anonymous person. So this was our first piece of hate mail. Uh, this was great. We got DM'd, the, you know, this woman DM'd me this on Instagram and she was like really upset. Yeah, obviously it was like, I was really enjoying your show until you said something political. Just for context, in Mount Rushmore, the episode starts with Trump giving a speech at Mount Rushmore, and I refer to Trump as a clown, right? I I wrote that episode the week of the insurrection. It came out the week after the insurrection. So, I mean, I would have called him a clown anyway. (laughs) I didn't think that was a particularly uh, racy political opinion to throw out there. But the funny thing is, like, when I set out to make the show, I didn't think I would be making a show that was quote unquote political. I don't really aspire to make things that feel all that serious in tone. Typically, I like to make like fun stuff about pop culture. But the more we made this show, the more it felt like every single episode was like kind of touching on like heavy stuff like gentrification or racism or our country's longstanding history with, with racism and classism and all this stuff kind of got scooped up in it because the reality is, is once you start investigating anything, anything in this country, it just does not take long. Like once you start drilling down to it, it does not take long to get to this really nasty past that we have or things that are pointing out like real inequality. And you just kind of have to talk about that. I wonder like, is it really the clown comment that kind of sets you off? Or is it sort of just the blunt truth of all that information that's in that episode about the story of Mount Rushmore and sort of the ugly truth. And it's not just like a beautiful 
homage to to presidents and, and what it's really like the the backstory. It's like did is that is the whole thing what sort of culminated this like need to send a message like this, or was it truly like the clown bit? For one, I think that somebody feeling the need to comment something along those lines just shows that like one people are listening beyond your friends and family, which is amazing. Great. <laughs> and that the the podcast is actually getting out there and people are listening. So that's great. Thankfully, there was tons more positive uh, press and and remarks and comments and and reviews about the podcast, which is amazing. I mean, I, I remember you. I feel like every week you would send me a new article or something where people were praising it and just saying how wonderful it is. And I mean, obviously, that feels great for everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, that part was dope. L- literally yesterday, I just found out we we got a little write-up in Outside Magazine, which was just really cool. And, and we'll post it in the show notes. And it was just like this really thoughtful, positive review in Outside Magazine. We got a really thoughtful, positive, and, and somewhat critical review from um, Nick Qua Vulture. And I really appreciated his criticism of the show. We've been written up in a bunch of newsletters. We made it into Washington Post on something. You know, over and over, people have reached out and said like, hey, I'm loving the show, whether it's a stranger or a friend of mine or somebody I haven't talked to in 10 years, just being like, yo, this is really good. So, I mean, that part has just been dope, like reconnecting with people and just hearing how people have received the show, that that part's been really cool. All right, so somebody asked uh, if you had plans to do a season of the podcast abroad after covid and if so, where would you go? And I have this question too. I want to know if you're taking me on an all expense paid trip around the world or what? What's the deal here? Let's go to Japan, baby. I'm down. Uh, man, yeah, I would love to. I would love to take this show abroad. There's no place in the world that I want to go more than Japan. That's just like selfishly a place me I want too. to travel. Period. So if I could do a few episodes, you know, a Japan mini series or a Japan mini season, that would be that would be dope. But yeah, I, I think the the plan is to go abroad eventually. There's obviously a ton more to explore in America, and I would love to go to all these places that I was originally planning on going to in season one that didn't ha- didn't have a chance to because of COVID. Eventually, what what I want to do with the show is is do an episode in every single state. If you notice in season one, we go to five different locations. Each of those five locations are in a different state. And so ideally, we'd hit all 50 eventually and go to one place per state before we start to double Mm -hmm. up. But yeah, going abroad is also also something that is really appealing. Uh, Will there be a season two? What is the future of Greetings from Somewhere? The reality is, yes, we are definitely going to do a season two. It's just a matter of when and how. Uh, I'm putting together pitch decks right now and starting to shop the season two around. And, you know, we're going to have to find a new sponsor and a new partner to make it with. But we're pretty adamant on making it. So it's really just kind of like, what's the right fit for season two and getting the funding? You know, I think... We were able to do it for season one and this and things went so well that I'm pretty confident that we'll be able to get something going pretty quickly. The short of that is stay tuned. But yes, we are already working on that, you know? Here's the last question we got from somebody. And I think this is is really important just overall. They asked, what's some advice for aspiring podcasters or people with ideas who want to make a show? I think the reality is just make your show. What is your show? What is the show that is uniquely yours? 
somebody asked me in an interview one time, like, why are you the perfect host for this show? And, and this is kind of a weird question, but it's like, oh, I'm the perfect host because I made it uniquely my own show. And I think anybody that makes something uniquely their own will be the perfect host of that thing. So what is the thing that you want to explore? What are you uniquely qualified to explore or uniquely interested in? And just do that. But, you know, I worked in podcasts for a lot of years before I was able to do this. I had a lot of practice and repetition, and that certainly helped, you know, find collaborators. I think good collaborators was like really key. You know, obviously with you, with Scoranon, and with all the other producers and editors and business help I was able to receive is like collaborators were key. I think the other thing is it took me so long to finally make a show because I I wanted it to be perfect. And I think once you start to let go of the idea of make the thing that you can make in this situation and it doesn't have to be perfect and you start to give yourself permission to try things and not every episode is, I mean, no episode is perfect, but but not every episode may have like, may come out the way you want it to, but it's still, you're, I was getting better each time we made a thing. And yeah, I, I think that's really important. You know, it took you a long time to get to this point where you felt like, okay, I'm ready to do this. And I, I think yeah. for anyone that like has, is is feeling like they're pretty green or they don't have any experience whatsoever. It's like, man, then don't let that be the reason you don't start and try and do something. I get people asking me about that, like similarly in engineering, like, oh, I want to engineer, what sh- how do I, what do I do? What, what steps do I take? And honestly, it's like, it's the same concept. It's like, man, just get in there, start messing with stuff, start learning on, start making mistakes and like start making things. And eventually you're going to come across something that's cool. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't need to be so rigid, like just start creating stuff and something will stick. And iterate. I think our last episode of the season, our last big episode in Joshua Tree was our best. And I think that makes a lot of sense that it would be, right? We had right. we had been rehearsed at that time. We had practiced going through those motions enough that we we started to find the show in new ways. And you know, like along with the the scoring and the just the overall uh, episodes and the structure and ideas and the production, like I thought a huge piece of the show was the artwork and just how it tied in every week. I mean, I thought that was like, I never would have thought of that first of all. And I thought that was just like made the show a million times better than what it could have been. Episode specific artwork. I always thought was like really cool and not a thing a lot of shows do, but I wanted there to be some way for the show to feel more visual. I I used to work with Alicia at The Ringer and she's just such a talented artist and she made the logo. And so from there, I was like, man, what else can we do visually, at least to like help share on social and like post online that makes it just look a little more interesting instead of just posting the same logo over and over and over every time we post a new episode? Like how can we make, make these episodes feel a little more enticing? So- we wanted to do episode specific artwork and like, yeah, Alicia just over and over just killed it with just incredible original art. And honestly, just like shout outs to everyone that helped with this show. Um, Sam Alcabez did a lot of stuff behind the scenes with the contracts, dealing with ACAS back and forth. He was also on the road trip that inspired this whole show originally. And so like he and I would be like in the car driving from Alabama, screwing around with the recording equipment. Uh, let's go check out this bar before it closes. This bar looks closed looks already. Like you want me to look, go peek? I'll be right back. I'll be right back. I'm going to get some, I'm gonna get some uh, Montgomery Ambi. There's nothing here. It's silent. The Montgomery Ambi is just silence. 
Yeah, she said they're closed. You wanna drive around a little bit? Let's go see Martin Luther King's house. Okay. He was there from jump and then he really helped out with contract stuff and legal stuff. Huge shout out to Megan Cunane, Jordan Coley, Josie Holtzman, Pellin Keskin, and Caroline Shagrin, all who each produced one episode of the show. Obviously, like Alicia was was key. Sam was big. You were there. My boy Scoranon was was all up in it. Yeah, it was a real like incredible collaboration and, and definitely like a team effort. I'm thrilled the show came out to what it was. If you listen to it, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned. Stay subscribed to this feed. We will definitely be putting out more work soon, and I will send out updates as soon as I have them. You can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is linked in the show notes, and I'll definitely be like updating anything about the show there and, and, and in this feed. So stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We, re- we like really appreciate all the support. And for Dan and Zach, that is a wrap for Greetings from Somewhere. We have arrived at our destination. This is... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is Greetings from Somewhere. <laughs> there you go. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.